Hi, welcome back to Invisible Machines, a podcast produced in partnership with UX Magazine and OneReach AI. Customer experience is a pretty big deal. It has been for a while, of course, but the the fundamental principles behind a, a good customer experience haven't really changed much over the past few decades. But what's changing really, really rapidly right now is the ability to provide customer experiences that are way more context-rich and personalized than would have seemed possible even just a few years ago. So this seemed like a great time to reach out to a customer experience dynamo, a sought-after keynote speaker and best-selling author, Shep Hyken. Uh, Shep has written some classics like The Convenience Revolution, uh, Be Amazing or Go Home, and his newest book, which is called I'll Be Back, how to get customers to come back again and again. Shep has done a lot of work with some of the biggest brands on the planet, including Turkish Air, Microsoft, Allstate, Verizon, IBM. That list goes on and on. Uh, this seemed like a great opportunity for Rob and I to have a conversation with someone who has, has been in the trenches with companies for a long time, trying to help them integrate technology into their, their customer experience offerings. Uh, and as I mentioned, we're now in a moment where that is getting, well, both more complex, but also a lot more exciting. So let's get into this conversation, which is also a pretty exciting and engaging discussion. I think you'll enjoy. So let's go to Shep Hyken right now. All right, Shep, welcome to Invisible Machines. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Rob, great to see you as always. Uh-huh. <laughs> he says with enthusiasm you guys you guys are are, are so official and i had to like compensate <laughs> uh, it works well all right um i feel like the only guy without a radio voice on this podcast right now <laughs> well you've got a radio voice it's just not a good one <laughs> no, I just okay, yeah. point, point well taken <laughs> Uh, so, Chef, we were really curious because, you know, we've had a lot of conversations with companies uh, that are really trying to improve their customer experience using the technologies associated with artificial intelligence, which, you know, are kind of obviously at the front of every company's collective mind, I guess, right now. But we were wondering what, you know, as someone who who really consults and works closely with companies to help them improve the customer experience, where are you seeing um, successes and failures with with kind of implementing these technologies into their operations? Sure. And I love this question. And wow, it's I think that AI and generative AI and ChatGPT platforms have just really become the focal point in the last six months. Uh, prior to that, um, even as long ago as almost 10 years ago, I was working with IBM's Watson program and I was involved with their Influencer Futurist program and attended their conferences. And I learned all about this idea of interacting with chatbots and letting uh, the human experience, you know, step aside for a little while only when needed. So here's where I think the big mistake is made. Let's start there. And that is when a company decides they become so enamored with the technology that they eliminate human to human. Um, we recently saw this happen with Frontier Airlines when they made the announcement, no more human to human customer service. By the way, I'm not saying that was a bad thing or a good thing. It was a very bold thing to do. Uh, and they were they were basically, in my this is my outsider's opinion. 
A lot of people didn't like it, and I'm not sure where they're going to go with it over the next, I don't know, six months, year. As, as things are getting better, they may be able to get to where they wanted to be initially. But a lot of pushback from from their passengers and their customers, right? Uh, yeah. But at the same time, they were trying to create a system that would allow people quickly to get what they needed without having to get in line, get on a phone call, and be put on hold for hours. So the truth of the matter is they were trying to do good whether or not the customer liked it or not. So the mistake that companies are making is they're out of balance sometimes with the idea of merging um, all of these technology platforms with a human-to-human platform, which is a traditional contact center. Um, Where it's really getting good is when um, you are able to go on a channel and it's a truly omni-channel experience. So you're on a digital channel, you're working in a website, can't seem to get your whatever it is done that you're trying to get accomplished and you're able to flip to a human human experience and they see what you've been doing. So the conversation continues to flow or you're on a chat bot that is uh, maybe it's a chat GPT type platform or maybe it's the traditional chat bots of just even a couple of years ago. But when the machine is smart enough to recognize I'm not giving the answer that this customer wants and once again, seamlessly switches me over and the conversations continue. So uh, the best companies are finding that balance. The best companies are offering the options and the smarter companies are actually uh, teaching their customers to use digital platforms prior to coming into the human to human experience, which is I think really important. If you're gonna put a great technology out there that works and your customers aren't using it, it's worthless. So teach them or give them the incentive. Yeah, I was, yeah, I, I can't help but thinking that like, the messaging, what you said, the intention, right? So if it's like, oh, goody, we don't have to talk to customers anymore. Yeah, that that's a mistake. <laughs> that's, and and assuming that you're, as a company that, you know, you saying that we're going to go to full automation without being clear as to why your intentions could easily come across as, oh, goody, I don't have to talk to my customers anymore. Um, I, It feels like you have to explicitly state your intention or other, or other people are going to assume it's because you don't want to, especially when you make a bold statement, as you said, because now you're, now, now you're, you're sort of making an absolute remark, right? You're like, we're going to, we're going to, you know, go, do you think, I, I was just thinking like, why say that? <laughs> Is this for investors? Was that for customers? Did, like, was there, was the idea, do you think that they were like, oh, investors are going to like this or customers are going to love this. They don't have to talk to a human anymore. Like what, well, where do you think that came from? I, I don't know what the executives at Frontier Airlines were, and I assume you're, you're talking about it, that example or right. in general. Yeah, yeah. You know, that example. Yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know if they were thinking, um, let's make the investors happy. Let's get lean and mean. Uh, by the way, they are a discount airline. Uh, so Bro. they need to stay lean and mean. And maybe this was one way of doing it. I, I truly believe that they felt that they could handle customer situations, passengers being uh, bumped from one flight, bumped because of a mechanical or a flight canceling. And I, I, I believe they felt that these uh, the technology could handle getting the customer what they needed. Um, 
I don't think it was working. Because what happens is people, if, you know, it's like, well, I don't want to leave tomorrow. I want to leave today. What are my other options? Uh-huh. Yeah, we but, had a great conversation with uh, Peter Greenberg, who's a travel journalist with CBS. I know um, Peter. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, know, yeah. Uh-huh. He, yeah. He painted sort of a bleak picture of the travel <laughs> and hospitality industry in terms of how they're adopting this technology. And and that frontier example certainly has the veneer, at least, of of a cost cutting measure rather than something that was meant to uh, to improve customer experience. Um, do you do you see companies making the bigger leap and trying to make this more about systemic change within the company, like kind of connecting departments and uh, you know providing a customer experience that way by creating better communication within the company. Well, it should all all be there. Uh, I want to jump back just a second because you made me think of something that's really, I think, an important idea that I have. And okay. somebody or recently, I've been asked this question a lot, phrased different ways. But what are the opportunities that are out there for the customers right now? And, and right in the middle of this conversation, technology versus direct connection to a you know a contact center agent or whatever, mm-hmm. the the opportunity is what I call speed to happiness. And it's, it's, uh, and my buddy, I, I, have you had Jay Bear on the show? Uh, I need to get him on the show. This is, this is a a wonderful guy who's so freaking smart. And he has a whole thing about, uh, he has done research on speed, but I'm not talking about fast, like how fast can we respond? We need to do that anyway. I'm talking about speed to happiness. And I define happiness as, not just uh, that you've resol- resolved my issue or you've answered my question, but you've made me enjoy the opportunity of doing business with you because customers don't wake up and say, today I'm going to call customer support. Today I can't wait to resolve the problem that I'm having with this software. They hope that that problem or issue never happened at all. But when it does happen, and it's bound to happen, and and people are people, and we know, we expect that, hey, I might need some help along the way. Are you giving me the experience quickly, efficiently, hassle-free? And when I'm done, you say as a customer, you know what? Is I didn't want to call customer service, but because I had to, I'm glad I did because these people are on the ball. And now I know every time I call, they're going to take care of me. So I want to, I want to get to that point. That's that's not an easy place to get to. But when you can get speed to happiness, where happiness is confidence that I'm going to get my answers and I'm going to enjoy getting the answers and doing business with this company, we're in good shape. So let's pick up now uh, with the question that you just posed to me. And that was, go ahead, rephrase it so I don't go down another rabbit hole. Oh, I think I was asking if, um, so So we were looking at Frontier as sort of a, a cost-cutting uh, rollout of yeah. of the uh, of conversational AI. And uh, you know, in, in our book, Age of Invisible Machines, we talk a lot more about like how systemic change is really required to make the yep. most of these technologies mm-hmm. because you really have to change the guts of your organization, essentially. And and I was just wondering if you're seeing uh, companies, I, I don't think any companies may be eager to do that, but if companies are coming around to the fact that they need to do that. Well, what if we could make it better for the customer and at the same time, make it better for the people we work with? And let's just use the contact center as an example. Uh-huh. Um, Recently, I was t- talking to some contacts and executives, and we, by the way, I did a study in conjunction with Captera. Actually, it was their study, and they asked me to collaborate on some of the findings, uh, which is uh, the research arm of Gartner. And we asked specifically, because of AI and technology, are you increasing, reducing, or keeping the same number of employees? 
Only 9% of the company said we're reducing the number of employees. 60 some odd percent said we are increasing the number of employees. Last week, somebody complained to me that with all this AI is happening, it seems that one of the most important metrics that they looked at, which I think is a bad metric, and that's AHT. Well, it's not a bad metric. It's bad for the purpose that they were using it uh, for. Average handle time. They uh-huh. saw average handle time going up, meaning their agents were spending more time with customers than they had in the past, where they viewed efficiency as the number of calls that they could handle, the number of interactions they have with a customer in a finite period of time, whether it be an hour or a shift or a day or whatever. Uh, and I said, well, there's a reason your handle times are going up. And it's not because you're your agents aren't being more efficient with their conversation. The conversations they used to have, like, where's my order? Uh, Did you receive my check? What's my bank balance? Whatever it is, those are now being handled digitally. So they don't have to answer these quick questions that take time to authenticate the customer, to, you know, get them into the system, pull up the records, do the research, and then tell them the answer. So you eliminate all those short calls, which means all that's left are the more complicated ones, yeah. which is the ones they should be working on to not only take care of the customer's needs, but also build the relationship by creating confidence in the experience that they have with that customer. Right. Let me go a little first principles here. Um, based on, you've been doing this a long time. You've seen a lot of research um, probably over the years. So I'm going to ask you to sort of, I guess, generalize here, which is pretty tough because we're talking about humans. <laughs> Do customers want to call companies and do companies want <laughs> to talk to customers? Like just very high level, generally speaking, do people want, do they look forward to these phone calls and do companies look forward to being called? All right. I'm going to read a stat for you. And every year we ask the same types of questions. Here is the stat. Um, 38 I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, 38% of Americans that we surveyed last year, uh, it's over a thousand consumers waited to the U.S. Census, uh, would rather clean a toilet than call customer support. So you tell <laughs> <Okay>. me. <laughs> it's a what, what percentage of people at those companies would rather clean a toilet than answer a phone call? Right. 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 That, that's true too. <laughs> and and how about companies? Do do they want to talk to customers, or are they trying to like? Like you said, lower the handle. T- like, is zero okay with them? Like, how would zero look? Would they be well? Happy zero with that? would be uh, well. Let, let's go back. I, I was getting ready to share with you. I did a cartoon where there was a man cleaning a toilet and a woman on the phone, and the man says, "What are you doing?" She goes, "I'm on hold talking to so and so. Do you mind uh, handling this call?" He goes, "I'd rather keep cleaning the toilet," and, <laughs> and, and that's fine. But let's I, jump. I, lo- I love that you did that, sir. That's great. Uh, you know, they'd rather go to a dentist. Some people would rather stand in line at the the motor vehicles department waiting for their license than call customer support. We ask all kinds of crazy questions. But anyway, I digress. You asked a very important question is that is the companies not want to talk to customers. So many years ago, Jeff Bezos was sitting in his boardroom with his team and he goes, why do we need a customer service department? We should be that good that they never have to call us. And I think that's a great goal, but it's not reality because at the time they may have been flawless with execution, but then they handed the package off to one of the major carriers like, you know, the, the U.S. Postal Service or UPS or FedEx or anybody, DHL, however they, they ship their packages. If they lost the package 
on the way to the customer, the customer doesn't know who lost the package or why the package isn't there. All they know is they ordered something from Amazon and it didn't show up. So who are they going to call? They're going to call Amazon. And boom, that's what happened. So he realized, well, we do have to have a customer support department. Now, what's really interesting is that they have created a digital system. And have you ever uh, ordered anything from Amazon and had a problem and had to reach out to them? Has that ever happened yeah. to you? Yes, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. yeah. Do you, you, remember, you don't call Amazon. You go on their website and uh, you start making some clicks and clicking and maybe typing something out and putting in a form. And at some point in time, you either have your issue resolved or it says, do you want to do you want to talk to somebody at Amazon? It doesn't say, do you want to call us? It says, do you want to talk to somebody? If so, put in your phone number. And about the time you hit the enter button, your phone rings <laughs> within mm -hmm. seconds. Yep. And it's Amazon and you're now in touch with an agent who is completely aware of your situation because they're looking at the same screen you are and working to resolve it as they talk to you. You don't have to, if there's more to add to the story, of course you can do that. But I, in the perfect world, anything you've done up to that point, they have access to. That's right. a pretty cool system, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in the first principle sense, though, it if you establish that you have two people, uh, in, probably in the best case scenario, is you have two people that don't want to talk to each other, talking to each other, and you're like, well, how do we make that better? Well, let's make that as short a conversation as we possibly can. Right. right? Short, and then easy we're like, to get to you. You know, I don't right. want to have to search 10 minutes for a phone number on a website to find you. You know, I want right. to I, I get in quick. You know, if I wanted to wait, uh, I, if I if I'm forced to leave a message and it's like a ticketed system, um, and you don't get back to me for three days, my response is: if I wanted to get the answer in three days, I would have waited three days to reach out to you. You know, it's right. That's right. just the the way it is. I don't believe that the people on the uh, who are answering the phone or 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 in the customer support world are saying they don't want to talk to customers. Uh, I think they do. I think. If well, let me the, ask you, what's the turnover rate of agents then? Well, in some companies, it's <laughs> very high, and in others, it's extremely low. And okay, the reason so is, is because uh, they empower agents to make good decisions. They train them really, really well, and they constantly train them on new skills or new products, making them feel fulfilled that they're mm -hmm. actually moving in their career. And they also potentially see advancement within that. They may say, I enjoy being in, in the support role, but boy, I'd like to bump it up and become a manager of a team, or I'd like to right. be assigned to a specific area of support that really uh, emphasizes my expertise. So there are some support. I've gone into uh, contact centers where the tenure is extremely high, and you can see why. Some of them are paid rather well, and then I've walked into other support centers or done business with them where they're low-paid people with turnover that's incredibly high. 100% okay. or more. Yep. So that's great. So that that kind of leads me to the next part, which says, I was going to pose to you the question, is is it possible that both could look forward to the conversation? Could we, not just, oh, this is as short as it needs to be, but is there a world in which both sides could, the company could look forward to having a conversation with customers, see it as an opportunity to connect with them, you know, and and that customers don't mind interacting with the companies because because they feel appreciated for the for the relationship, right? Like, sure. And 
and and I was going to pose that question like as if maybe that's impossible, but I think what you said is there are examples of that at least on one side where the agents actually enjoy their side of the conversation. I'm going to assume that 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 so do the customers. I I doubt that those customers are miserable and hate those interactions in those places you were talking about. It's probably mutual, right? I'm going to assume it doesn't make sense that that there's all these folks in the call center that are happy and have tenure and have horrible conversations with people who don't want to talk to them all day long. Um, but I know you would know. You, you, you well, saw it firsthand. There's, there's a certain personality that works really well in the support world. Um, and, and you're trying to hire for that personality. And uh, the, at the same time, you need some technical skills, uh, perhaps to be able to work, uh, you know, looking at screens and bouncing around programs and then of course there's the skill of of understanding your your product. Um, the uh, you you bring up. I, I don't think anybody gets up in the morning and says today I can't wait to call customer support to deal with the problem that I have. No, nobody wants to call. However, let's create a system where we make it easy and and as I mentioned before, speed the happiness. I want to create. An, ex- an experience that says, I like doing business with these people. And, and let me use the word always. I, this is how I defined amazement. How do you create customer amazement? It's not about being over the top and blowing people away. Although that's going to happen when there's a big problem and you save the day, but you can't wait for those huge issues to pop up. But day in and day out, you've got all these interactions. So the goal is that you want that customer to be thinking, I like doing business with them. Why? You know what? They're always so helpful whenever I talk to anybody there. They always get back to me quickly. Um, even uh, even when there's a problem, I know they're always going to resolve it for me. The word always followed by something positive as opposed to, I know whenever I call, I'm always going to be put on hold for 20 minutes. Okay? Right. Uh, but if we can do the word always followed by something positive, I think you're in the zone of amazement. Nobody wants uh, if you let's strike that, let's say everybody wants consistency of a good experience. Uh-huh. Nobody wants to have an experience that's great one day and then the next day is not so good because the third time I call, I don't know which one I'm going to get. Right. I want right. to be in a in a place where every time I call, I know this is going to happen. So that's why amazement comes when you meet or even ever so slightly exceed expectations. Yeah. And um. The meeting of expectations is doing what you what now every customer has a, a different uh, level of what they think their expectations are. I realize mm-hmm. that, and let's use uh, I call it uh, channel consistency. Uh, mm-hmm. You want to consistently respond in the right period of time. If I call you and you put me on hold for twenty minutes, I'm not going to be happy when I finally talk to you. Right, but if right. I email you and you email me back in two hours, I'm going to be elated that you got back to me within two hours, right? So different channels have different expectations. And within each of those channels, you want to be consistent in meeting whatever the expectation is of that channel. And you will understand by looking at what your customers' comments and feedback are as to whether or not you're meeting it. Now, I want to go back to your original question. uh, And I think that's where uh, a good time to talk about NPS is net promoter score, because oftentimes that NPS question on the scale of zero to 10, what's the likelihood that you would recommend us is based on the interaction that that customer just had. Oftentimes it's in a call center and we'll go to uh, Mr. Jim Bush, 
who was the former senior vice president, executive VP worldwide of customer service for American Express. And he implemented the NPS question to be used after an interaction that a customer, a member is what they call them uh, in the uh, credit card American Express world, um, <laughs> what happens after the interaction. And he said that your compensation as a support center rep will be based on high NPS scores, your uh, manager's compensation, compensation leading all the way up to the man himself, Jim Bush, would be That's tied right. to strong NPS scores company-wide. That's that's pretty big, uh, lofty, uh, I, I say it's almost a gamble because you know, you're putting a system in and you're hiring people and you're training them to ensure the NPS scores are going to be high, the likelihood to recommend. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a goal. We don't want this customer. And they, they threw out the whole idea of let's get the let's get off the call quickly and move on to the next one. Let's get off the call quickly when we know this customer is happy and is willing to give us a high score because we took care of them at that level. Now, I right, think that's right. fun. It's challenging. It almost gamifies the system. And there's uh-huh. a little carrot at the end, which is in the form of some type of compensation. And as a customer, uh, you know, you don't want to start the interaction off by, you know, I've been on hold for 30 minutes. I'm, I was already upset when I called you. Now I'm really upset. Right, right. Yeah, I, I was thinking about, you know, I was with my kids and we we go and get ice cream, right? And I would, and my daughter sort of, she didn't ask it in this, you know, enlightened a way, but you could sort of summarize it as to what she was asking is, why do we go get ice cream when we could just get a gallon of ice cream and keep it in the freezer, right? Like, why do we go get ice cream at the ice cream shop right um and it, again like it wasn't as concise a question but it i didn't have a good answer i was like i, I don't know because it's fun like, yeah, it's fun it's about to the go experience here. not just the ice cream right and so you're like okay so it is possible that customers could actually look forward to the interaction if the company's goal is to make the experience if that's if they're not like focused on shortening the experience, but they're actually focused on making it good, like if that's where they've set their mind to, that ice cream shop thought carefully about how to improve that experience. They see it as part of their product instead of seeing it as a byproduct of what their business is, right? Like, oh, here's what we sell, ice cream, and oh yeah, we got to make the experience good. They're like, no we wouldn't survive selling ice cream if that's all we did. We have to make the experience good. So then they realize and recognize that it, it's just about about caring about that and also maybe believing in some way that it's possible to make it good, right? That That it's doable, that people could actually call and interact. Now, this is a physical shop. And so I guess there's a, the big advantage here that they have in terms of experience, right? But is there a virtual opportunity to recreate the ice cream experience, right? To say, actually, like, I don't mind um, calling. I don't like having issues that I need to resolve, but I don't mind contacting this company because, because it's clear that they do take an effort to improve the experience. It's not trying to get me off the phone and get rid of me, but it seems to be clear that they actually 
appreciate the relationship. And I think a lot of that is the relationship. When we go get ice cream, they recognize the kids, right? Yeah. And that's part of the whole thing. Yeah. Why do we? Yeah. If they, if, if they walked in and the people serving ice cream, like, you know, for the 20th time, were like, oh, and what's your name? Like, if they did that for the 20th time, we would probably never go back there, right? If they treated every interaction transactionally, and and had amnesia every time we left and came back and there's a new person and they don't remember us and they start over what's your name you know but no we go in there and they're like oh how you guys doing how school you know blah 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 and they love the mango sorbet they know it already is gonna be mango again yep um that's a huge part of of that experience for us and and it feels like we could pull that off online. We got to think a little bit differently than the physical experience, but it seems like we could enjoy calling a company. It seems like that that's plausible. Uh, sure it is. And and 71% of the customers we surveyed said that personalization is an important part of the experience and what you just described is personalization. When I go on Amazon and digitally it says welcome back, Shep, you know, do you want to look at what mm-hmm. you were looking at last time, you know? Uh Get this for personalization. Are you ready for this? Now, this is back in 2000 and maybe 16. So what, eight, seven, eight years ago. Uh, imagine you walked into a department store, uh, a cloth- like a Nordstrom type store or Macy's or whatever. Um, you walked in and a sales rep walked up to you, introduced themselves and knew who you were by name before you even said your name. And said, I understand that the last time you were here, you were looking at shoes. What are you in here for today? I'm looking at shoes again. Oh, well, come on over. Now, I know you bought this brand of shoes. Did you like them a lot? Yeah. Do you want to see the other colors that they have? Now, how does this salesperson know this? Are you ready for this? Cameras, facial recognition. Now we know who the customer is as they walk through the doors. They're recognized by the cameras. There is an earpiece in the salesperson's ear that's being fed the information from a computer. In front of you is a gentleman named Shep Hyken. The last time he was here, he bought XYZ. Um, There's three other colors he might be interested in. Show him those colors. (laughs) It's like pretty cool. Now I could walk up to the front desk of a hotel and they could say, "Uh, your name, Uh, Hyken. Oh, Mr. Hyken, you stayed here before, haven't you? Yeah, well, welcome back. Same thing, just like that. The software did it for me. So when I call customer support and they have my information, my buying patterns, uh, my past history of customer support right in front of them, they can play off of that and Uh they can use that to enhance the experience, enhance the relationship, create uh, credibility, build trust because I feel like this person knows who I am and why I've been calling. The other thing that's real cool with AI is AI, depending upon how big your customer base is, they can look at me as a customer when I'm calling in and they can compare me to all their other customers. And I might be the exact same persona with the same buying patterns, with the same merchandise that I bought before, Uh asking the same questions as 5,000 other customers. So guess what? This agent can be told by the computer. This is a customer who's about to ask you this question. They don't even know they're going to ask it yet, but you can add them off the teller. Yeah. Yeah, The fortune teller. Do you see where I'm going with this? You get me. How did you... (laughs) Wow, this is like uh, the fortune teller that 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 yeah knows I have brothers and sisters and like wow, how did you know this? We were just talking about this, Josh and I, and and how 
how much people connect with that, the idea that that somebody gets them before, how could they know this, right? There's some sort of like trust that gets enabled yeah. there. Just don't I, make it creepy. The fortune teller yeah. can become really creepy really fast. Yep. And and the so the question I kind of ha- keep pondering, and I know, you know, we're not going to know until some company really pulls this off well, but it, it kind of comes down to, would you rather talk to a person that doesn't know you and, and, and is fully transactional and doesn't want to get to know you because they know they're n- likely not going to see you again? Um, or would you rather talk to an anthropomorphic machine that knows you really well, knows it will see you again, cares about the interaction, and and to your point, like, yeah, sure, a human sometimes needs to be in the loop and 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 to enhance the experience, and that's great. Like we want that. But that that machine that knows you really well could do that warm handoff, right? That Hey Rob, I want to introduce you to, you know, Jack. He works in the shoe department here. I've told him everything about you. He knows that you've been in here three times. I've let him know your, so it doesn't feel creepy, right? I've I've right. let him know your preferences. Um, Jack, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Jack. He's been here. He's pretty new, so you know, bear with him. But I think he can help you out today. That kind of, like concierge, human in the loop, cobotting. Right where where you feel like okay, there's this company knows me and gets me. This person, of course, doesn't because we've never met before. Um, would they prefer the the machine that knows them really well, but is a machine or the person that doesn't and doesn't want to get to know them? And I, you know, nobody's pulled off that machine really gets me in the non creepy way yet. So it's you know, I oh Amazon's done a pretty know. good job of that, and other companies have used similar technology. Here's what I think the customer wants. I've got a question. And by the way, let's. I, I I've written about this. I say nothing has changed in the world of customer service and support. Beagle, what are you talking about? So much has changed. AI, <laughs> generative AI, uh, you know, ChatGPT, um, everything. Well, here is is a situation. I've got a question or a problem. I want the answer or the resolution. Okay, or a complaint. You know, resolve that kind of thing. And at the end. I want to feel like you did it and I'm now happy. Okay. Nothing's changed. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it always will be. In the middle, how we go about doing it has changed. Let me read you some stats and facts from our findings. Uh, and that 43% of customers prefer to use digital self-service options. Okay. They prefer it. They don't always go there first, but that's what they would prefer. The reason they don't go there first is sometimes they don't know if the company offers a good self-service option. Now, who do you think is driving that uh, number to be 43%? It's not old people. It's not baby boomers. Baby boomers, the answer is 18% of them would like to go digital first. Yeah, They'd yeah. like to get on the phone first rather than than go to a website or, or, or looking at something else. But uh, 48% of Gen Z and 36% of millennials are the ones that are driving this number a little bit higher to be 43%. And Gen Xers and Boomers are 22 and 18 yeah. percent. So what that tells me is that um, you know what we've got to, depending on who our our customer base is, we need to cater to them. We need to cater to them the right way. We will make them happy if we get them the answers they want in an easy and efficient manner, even if it means 
going digital first and then eventually right. being connected to a human or going human first and going right to the right there right. Uh, and and then i i want to emphasize that and i i don't think i mentioned this today uh with y'all but i had an interview earlier so if i'm repeating myself you need to remind me of this but you know the airlines did a great thing when they introduced self-service ticketing and they gave us the incentive of a 500 or a thousand miles to do it uh-huh. right? if you try us we'll give you an extra thousand points okay right i'll try it hey this wasn't too hard and guess what the second and third time it's much easier i don't know if you remember the first time you ever used paypal or venmo you had it set up and it probably took you 10 minutes to make the first uh-huh. transaction well today you do it in 30 seconds because you become comfortable with it and you know it and you could jump from venmo to a competitor and it looks pretty similar so it's somewhat intuitive and within a very short period of time you could be using another solution that's what companies need to do is create this intuitive easy to use uh digital solution not to put up a wall between a customer and a human on the customer support side but to give them an option of getting their answers quickly and efficiently right and when you do it to me over and over again my confidence about you is there it's high and I'm not going to want to do business and take the chance that I have to learn a new system all over again or take a chance that the next company's customer support on the digital level right, won't right. be as strong. Uh, once yeah. we get to the human level, you know what? That person needs to be properly trained on how to communicate, how to create that uh, helpful, friendly service, uh, respectful service. We want to feel like we're connecting and we want to do everything. Uh, let me tell you, a human can come off as a robot. And when we do that, that's doing nothing to enhance the relationship. It's simply getting my answer. And there's an opportunity that agents have to deliver the information without spending any more time. It's just the way they deliver it, the way yeah. they say it. And the uh, and, and and for lack of a better term, I want to call it emotion that they exhibit, which isn't, they don't have to exhibit much, okay? Right. But they've got to exhibit something that shows I'm dealing with a human being. Yeah. You do that the right way, you're not spending any extra time. You're just communicating it the right way. And that customer says, I like doing business with them. That's yeah. why I'm going to come back. You make me think of two things, um, two points uh, uh, for what you said. The first was the young people point, which to me is fairly obvious. When you have folks that manage their closest relationships, like the relationships with their best friends over digital channels. They're sitting course, across the table from them in a right. restaurant texting each other. Exactly. So, of course, they're comfortable. Like, of course, that, that channel isn't a degraded channel to them. They're not considering that channel a second best channel. This is how they manage their friendships with their best friend. It's, right. It's a quality channel to them, and they know how to use it. Um, the, the other thing that strikes me is um, this sort of concept of just... Uh, being transactional, when I think about this at, at a very first principle level, this whole, you know, why don't I want to talk to this company? Well, one of the reasons is because I have a relationship with a brand and and I, and I have a holistic relationship. All of my interactions with that brand sum up to a concept of relationship that I have. So I'm having a relationship with the brand the brand doesn't have a relationship with me and that's offensive right like i see that brand and that interaction and the sum of all my interactions every time i contact them i have an awareness i have a relationship with the brand 
but it doesn't have one with me. It doesn't, it has amnesia. It's like having a relationship with someone who has no, sh like only super short-term memory. The second you walk out of the room and come back, they're like, who are you? Yep. And you remember them, but they don't remember you. So how could anyone, like unless companies could start establishing an awareness of a relationship with its customers and and showing that they have long-term memory of a relationship, the only thing I can see that could help that is machines, right? Well, because sure, that's what's going to prompt you. Right, hiring people. Now, granted, there are examples of this working probably in like insurance where you get an agent, right? And that agent's assigned to you and, you know, they call you and there's a sense that they know you when you call, but they're, but they're few and far between and they work, right? It's, it, they definitely work or, or we wouldn't do it, right? Um, but yeah, I think this concept of companies being purely transactional versus relationship driven and understanding that anybody who, in our social world, anybody who I feel like I have a relationship with that I, I know I had this this example when my kids were in you know we were starting school and um, there was this one parent this one uh, this one guy that my daughter was friends with his daughter and we had met in school and he, he you know he he's like hey what's your name I'm like Rob and what's your name you know we did the polite a week later I'm in there he's like hey what's your name uh, Rob you know <laughs> said again. The funniest thing was his name was Rob also. Um, With two the, Bs? The, no, just one. The The third time, <laughs> hi, what's your name? I'm like, is this really happening, right? <laughs> I'm like, Rob, <laughs> the same as yours. This is the third time we've done this, right? I'm, uh, you know, I'm me, so I'm, I'm marginally offended, but... But that's, it just occurred to me, like, this is what it's like dealing with a company. Like, they have no memory of me, but I remember them. I remember every interaction, but they have none of me. So how That's how pretty standard. I mean, that, that's like, I can't believe the server doesn't remember me. But then I realized the server deals with 20 tables a night. I come here three times a year. And if they're dealing with 20 tables a night, five times a week, that's 100 tables a week. That's, you know... 5,000 tables. How am I expecting them to remember me when they do? I'm right. impressed. Exactly. So I'm not saying, you know, go in hoping for the minimum and then be excited when you get anything better than that because some some companies are better than that. I, I used the example a few minutes ago. I walk up to a front desk and as soon as they put my name in there, it says, oh, you've been here before. Welcome back, Shep. Okay. You know, and and I know they're reading off the screen, but you know what I'm thinking? Wow, they're keeping a record. And then the person might say, you know what? You were in a corner room the last time. I have that same room available. Would you like right. me to put you in that? You know, it's all right there. Just yeah. take advantage of it. Yeah, and you know that they care enough to at least read your history, right? right? And, and 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 once again, the way they they don't they aren't reading it and reciting it. They're putting right. it in their own words and flipping it back to me. And as I mentioned before, they're not taking any more time to do that. They're just doing it with a, in a personalized way, uh, with some level of. I know it doesn't have to be much, but a feeling that I'm connecting with them. So yeah, there's no. some emotional thing. By the way, that's what drives loyalty. That's what drives repeat business. First, if you want me to come back, create the experience that makes me to want to come back and then do it predictably 
and make it consistent. So I, I start to trust that this is exactly the way it's going to be. And right. that's confidence. Confidence and trust belong with each other. But trust is also an emotion. So when I start to say, I trust that this is going to happen, mm -hmm. I'm now emotionally connected to that company or that person or right. that brand or whatever. And when you can create that connection where I know that every time I do business, this is the way it's going to be, I like that. Yeah. And I'm going to try to hold on to that, which means I may not want to go anywhere else. You have to have that level of confidence and trust before you can expect to yeah. have any kind of loyalty. Yeah. So I well, think trust becomes this... interesting too when you're when you're thinking about personalization and throwing technology in the mix too, because uh, in the shoe shopping scenario that you described earlier, Shep, like to me that would probably be kind of alienating if someone came up to me in a store and knew that much about me. But if I had been, you know prompted that I could opt into that kind of experience. Right. That might be okay, but someone just much younger warm, than me might find it totally normal to have someone come up. Or just the warm handoff. Kind just of to, know. to watch the the system, you know, introduce yeah. you, right? Just it, just yeah, just yeah. to be in the loop instead of like, oh, this guy knows secret information. I don't know what what does he know about me? Like to see what he sees, right? And say, okay, yeah, yeah, I, it, feel, I, it feels like the personalization dance, right? Like, because it's yeah. going to be, it's like, it's like hyper personalization in a way. There's like, you want to create personalized experiences, but then you want those experiences right. to be unveiled, perhaps in different ways to different people. So right. there's this this razor wire that you're on, where you know, with LLMs being able to mine unstructured data and use relational databases to create kind of these new levels of context, and you also have to be aware of how right. much do I want to give this this specific person in this instance and is it going to is it going to have the effect that i want of building community because i think in, right. in your ice cream shop example rob i mean that's what's happening right they it's like you're building a community there mm -hmm. and it seems like a business would really want that vibe of a community right where yeah. you're not just a, a number you're someone who's part of their world and you're exactly. part of, you know, and even part if of it's, yours shep to your point even if it's even if you know it's not you know it's not entirely genuine it's still good we still, we still like it. It doesn't have to be pure, right? It can just, it's an effort and they're making an effort and that's enough in itself to please us. And I, I was, I want to take it to like conversational AI and the technology because the, you know, chat GPT or open AI introduced this concept of adding like perpetual context, right? You can go in there and, and provide the system with essentially like a static primer that says, you know, always talk in a, you know, Italian accent and, you know, you know, uh, <laughs> speak to me as if I'm, you know, always call me by my nickname, you know, George. Um, and, and, and then every interaction you have will always be contextualized in this, you know, in this primer. And so we see what I say is the glimpse of the beginning of every conversation being a continuation of the last one instead of an entirely new transaction out of nowhere. And 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 whether that primer is handed to an LLM or whether that, to your point, Shep, or whether that primer is handed to a person through conversation, we don't care. Just the fact that 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 this is a relationship now and not a transaction, in, it can go a long way. You can say something as simple if you're in the customer support world and I, you know, Rob, you call me and I recognize who you are, your, your information on the screen. I say, now, Rob, you and I haven't talked before, but I see that you last time called about this issue. Is that what's, is it continuing uh -huh. to be the problem? And you go, 
Yeah, it is. Yes. You know, what have I just done? I've never met you before. I never talked to you before. I told you I'm looking at your notes. Right. And you're impressed with me. Right. Which I love, which I love the fact that you, you added that, like telling them you're looking at their notes, like there's nothing wrong. You, you know, that's great. You're, you're reading, you're taking the time, you, you care. That's enough. I, I feel don't... like that kind of transparency can actually boost an experience yeah, in I, some yeah, 100% cases agree. too, right? Where like, we, we kind of talk a lot about like, with the anthropomorphization of technology, you could, you can kind of dampen that perhaps right. How by many syllables making it really that clear that this is a machine. Oh, anthropomorphization. Is that seven? <laughs> we say that word a lot on this that, podcast. <laughs> I've gotten yes. good at saying it over the course of this podcast, that's for sure. But yes. I think by by giving it uh, a different kind of face, you can, and I think that's an example of it, right? Like saying, hey, this is our automated system. It can do, I'm, you know, I can do these things, but I can't yeah. do these things. And I'm happy to connect you with a person. And then yeah, and it I, all of a sudden feels like you're kind of more included in the, and I love, what's happening. I, and, I, and I can see where it can go, right? Because we, we talk about it at a basic level, but then it can get more advanced. So I was, uh, God, Sedaris, I think. Um, Amy or this, David? David uh, talks about <laughs> this idea of, um, what was it? Man, I'm going to butcher this, but uh, you'll get the, the gist of it. Um, I, I don't know if it was his birthday or Christmas or something. And, and, and somehow he told his family he likes owls. Right. So then every birthday and Christmas present from his whole family were owls. And his house was filled with owls. And that's the joke because he's looking around his apartment or his house and there's owls everywhere. And he's like, why are there so many owls in this house? Um, and and that's AI going wrong. Right. Like if if every time you interact with somebody, they're like, oh, by the way, this guy likes owls. And they're like, oh, I hear you like owls. Like, stop with the owls. I have so many owls now. I told you once. I like owls and now there's nothing but owls. It's it's a benign but simple. It's not creepy. I just don't want you to, like, I want you to forget that about me. Can I go in there and just forget the owl thing? This is something I can't do with humans, but I can do with the machine. I can say, let's let's just pretend I never said I like owls. Can we do that? And the machine's like, it's forgotten, gone. Yep. You just, we erase that sentence from your context and owls are, owls are forgotten. And and now we look at how machines can be better than humans because you can't get your family members to forget that you like owls. So you're going to keep getting these presents that are owls. And But now with a machine, you can just go in there and say, For, forget, the right to be forgotten, right? Not just forgotten entirely, but I just want you to forget this little piece. I'm going to edit this out of your memory. And now when I come in, you're going to, you know, it introduced me to other options. Yeah. I don't, is there, is there a question there? Yeah, I know. I was just <laughs> thinking that. I was just thinking like, where's the, well, I, I just you, killed you know, it. You're right. I mean, the, the whole thing, people don't realize with chat GPT and uh, I haven't yet played as much with the Google Bard system yet, but uh, with chat GPT, there's something called custom instructions and you go in exactly. there and you say, yeah. I want to be known. I want you to call me by my first name. I want you to uh -huh. talk to me as if you're a colleague um, or an intern, or I want you to talk to me like you're a, a PhD professor in right. quantum physics. And, you know, you, you can get it to talk to you at that level. Um, uh -huh. And it will do it every time. We are, if you remember, you know, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 Space Odyssey, and it was like how the computer... This is how on steroids, in my oh, opinion. Man. And we are 
this is the tiniest bit of its capability that's being shown to us right, right. now. Right. Only because yes. we don't know and we haven't experimented and seen what's really capable out there. Uh -huh. uh, we have seen some shortcomings. We've seen some mistakes. We've seen some issues. There are people that are worried about the ethics of AI. There's uh -huh. not been one pro uh, one invention that's created a problem like this where people were worried about what is this going to destroy the world? Is it going to make us lose jobs? Is it going to you know, replace us? Somebody uh, shared some great examples. Um, you know, I, I always talk about how when that airline decided they didn't want uh, to, they, they made available the ability to book tickets online. It wasn't because they didn't want anybody calling reservations. They wanted people to call reservations only when they couldn't book online. And, right. and uh, they may have cut some people, but they didn't cut everybody. Uh, you know, when, when uh, Barclays Bank created the ATM, everybody said, that's it, end of tellers. Nope, uh -huh. there's plenty of tellers in every bank I go into. <laughs> And uh, video did not kill the radio star when MTV was invented. Uh, but somebody gave another great example that in the era of photography, when the first photographs were created, they thought it would be the end of art because they, yep. you know, it's not special anymore. Yeah. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Uh -huh. They were worried about it. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, to to think about those systemic changes, right? And I think that's why, because they always think of point solution, the incremental shift versus the systemic shift where systemic in photography is, well, everyone's a photographer. Now we all, actually, we care more about photography, right? Because we're all photographers. It's not relegated to a small group of people. Now, now we all enjoy it. So the fish just grew bigger. Um, the bowl got bigger, the fish grew bigger. And I think in this case, you know, we, we've sort of touched on this idea of of having a, you know, sort of static primer or instructions that kind of carry from one conversation to the next. We can think of that as a relationship level data structure, right? That just spans our individual conversations. It's a new idea in customer service for most folks. Um, but what I think most people don't really see is it's the beginning of completely rethinking CRM because let's imagine that that primer, that special set of instructions actually has all of your past conversations, anything you've told that company in any context or any conversation that, that it's extracted. Um, we call that, at one reach, we call that a biosketch. So what we have now is an unstructured, not a table for a CRM, but we have basically a document that describes you and your history and nobody had to create a column for favorite color right do we collect favorite color on it like it's just in a past conversation and therefore we may have collected it we may have not and and that that bio sketch is something that you as a customer can see and edit so you don't have to wonder what's stored about you you know you can just sit there and say oh take i like owls out of this sentence and that crm just becomes this you know, unstructured document that histories are interactions. And there is, there's very little need for tables and columns because at the end of the day, anything you need to know is in that bio sketch. And now this unstructured data is as available to us as structured data is. I can say, hey, what's this guy's email address? And not only can it hold the email address in the bio sketch, but can also 
Yeah, it can also contain context around my preferences. Like he doesn't like to be emailed, but here's his email address. Or this is his work email address. He preferred to be contacted on his personal one, which is this. And, and, and this kind of, you know, soft or gray, I, I almost think of it like if computing's going to, you know, this qubit, right, which is not one or a zero, but, a, you know, something between a probability of one and zero. Now we're getting to personal information, having a confidence score, you know, and and the information being somewhere in the gray area instead of the, do we have their email or don't we? You know, we sort of do, right? It's old or we sort of do because he doesn't like to be contacted on it. And and so we end up in this brand new world where tables and columns and normalization and 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 database conversations about what should we collect, what shouldn't we collect is gone and we just have a document that can be asked. So thinking of it as a talking document, right? You can ask the document questions. It can give answers. If marketing wants to ask it a question about me, um, it can. It can ask what my phone number is. It can ask what my preferences are. Um, and that I control the content of that document seems like, seems like we have, I know we have the capability now. We've seen it. It's, it's plausible. We just, now it's this world of how long does it take tables and columns and schemas to die and for us to realize like we don't need these anymore um, we, we may need them for certain things like aggregate aggregating data and things like that at, at, on a performance level but they're probably transient you know um and and that all we need is this concept of a biosketch which you know looks more like a wikipedia page on us that we control and and that and then you just provide that context to any human or or um, machine, and for the human, you summarize it so they can, like, to your point, you don't want to sit there while they read five pages about you. Give them, you know, a five-second right. summary, the bullet um, points, the highlights. Right, and... but we all know that's possible. So, right. so now the question is, how long does it take companies to wake up to systemic change versus saying, "Oh, look at this! I added Gen AI to my." database table. <laughs> you know, well, like, some uh, have already done it and they're doing it well and others are lagging because they don't implement well. Um, a, and I, you know, they have to be very careful on how you go about doing it. It's a process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have, uh, yeah, I have big questions about the CRM space and, and how relevant it becomes in the near future when tables and databases are no longer the center of how we keep data um, and you know, what does that do to that whole industry, right? Um, is it that the folks that have sort of, you know, dominated that industry, do they take companies to the next level or, or do they not have the financial incentive? Because we're talking about a very simplified version. It's not only yeah. more powerful, but it's far more simple. Well, it, the, the one word that comes to mind is integration. And if I'm going to create a solution, a CRM, who do I integrate with? And unless I'm willing to get into the business of another software platform, uh -huh. I better be able to seamlessly integrate and incorporate it in. Uh, one of the things I've talked about for years, and it's all kind of come true in the last several years, is I used to say, who, and I go to these conferences on you know, contact centers and CX conferences. And I said, 
you guys have these great software programs. And if I'm working on, I'm working with a customer and I've got to have five programs open at once to be able to give the customer what they need. It's really hard on me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whoever gets to integrate all of these into one dashboard, one solution, so mm-hmm. that if you're communicating with me on Twitter or now X or whatever we would call it, <laughs> uh, Facebook, um, you know, LinkedIn, and I should be able to see all those conversations in one stream and not have to click on three different programs and open them up and, you know, bounce yeah. around. And, and now that's a very basic example, but I used to say, whoever can do this well, get it all in one place, going to make a lot of money. Yeah. There's some companies out there that are doing exactly that and they're ahead of the game from others. Yeah. yeah. yeah there's a demo we like to show, um, you know, we haven't released our technology like publicly, uh, at least like in a sign up where it's, it's all by, you know, by invite, but, um, we like to show this demo because you can call up the system. You can make an appointment. Now, one of the most important things about making an appointment is most people know when they can't go, not when they can go. So this, most appointment demos in our space start with, hey, when do you want your appointment, right? And most people, they don't manage their calendars that tightly. So they're not like, Thursday at two. <laughs> 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 what they usually say is, I have soccer practice on, in the mornings, and I got to take the kids to school on Friday afternoon, so that's out. But any other time's great, right? So we show this demo where you can say that, and then it offers you, you know, the next available Monday and then the Tuesday. And um, but but it's all over voice, right? So you're talking to this thing; it knows you, it understands that it's going to remember that for next for the next appointment because it's in your bio sketch. But you hang up and then you go online to chat with it because you it turns out you can't make it, right? Something changed. You see the transcript of the voice call, just like the history in, in, in OpenAI. You see that transcript between you and the system that you had over voice and you just go, actually, I can't make it now over text. It's like, great. When, what, let's, how about Tuesday at two? Perfect. You're done. You move on with your life, right? Two channels, complete context, and this is all not that difficult with no, this new it's technology. No, it's definition of omni-channel, right? That's but what almost omni- impossible with the technology of today. So if you have Salesforce and Cisco and like you're not doing this, like, <laughs> and that's my point: is that the companies that can find ways to integrate with partners. Yeah, I think that's going to be the way to do it. Um, you know, the, uh, thanks to programs like Zapier, which allows you to create processes over here that are brought into completely different software programs. Uh-huh. Um, so I think there's ways to bridge that. Uh, there's probably cleaner, smoother ways. Not that Zapier isn't, but there's probably a better way to do it if the two companies were to work together and integrate. But with right. technology changing as fast as it is, with new companies jumping up, especially now with uh, generative AI and ChatGPT and OpenAI and all this is coming around. Um, you know, I talked to a client. Um, they started out, we want to introduce ourselves. We're the only company in this space that does this. I go, yeah, I don't know about that. And a week <laughs> sure. later, I went to a conference and I'm at a trade show and there's 17 companies. I don't think it's do possible exactly to that. know that. <laughs> well, and it's impossible to know that because they all sprung up in the last month. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, they're taking advantage of something that's new and hot and they're they're building it out. 
Um, so, uh, Anyway, you can't possibly integrate with every company that's out there, but you can take the ones that have been out there for a while right. that you know are tried and true, a Salesforce, a Cisco, to use your two examples, uh -huh. and say, okay, you know, where where can we merge the two platforms together to make this right? And maybe I create the company uh, that is that conductor that, that, you know, you've got the symphony orchestra is Salesforce and Cisco and Freshworks and Five Nine and Ring Central and all these different companies that do all some similar and some different things. Talk Desk, ServiceNow, all of them, and uh, let's take the components you want and let's put them in one place. Wouldn't that? Yeah, be I cool? agree with that. Yeah, I think I, I think the only counterpoint I'd have, but I understand you're coming from a place of reality versus my idealism, <laughs> which is um, I get a speed train, right? I have this like engine now that can travel at you know. Same same speed as an airplane, 500 miles an hour. You know, it, it hovers. It's all great. But then I attach an old uh, railway car to it. That That's max speed is like 125 miles an hour. And so now I've attached two of these like old cars on it because someone's like, wow, I spent a lot of money on these like these yep. old cars. I don't want to like throw it away. Can you hook your super fast engine up to my old outdated you know railway cars here and you're like but then you're slowing down this thing to 125 and they're like yeah 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 but at least i you know at least i'm using them right and i right. spent a lot on these things and you're like yeah okay but it's time to move on yeah yeah what, you know i mean what what is that i i see that all you know, the time i have time an ex-girlfriend and there's there's a reason we call her an ex-girlfriend <laughs> right. like she doesn't moved still on. live yeah she doesn't live there right you're like yeah. yeah you know i just i invested a lot in this relationship i don't want to let it go you're like yeah i think i, I think there's uh, you've something you've got memories you don't I think need there's something about you know. these companies that are like holding on to this old tech and, and then they weigh it down. They come in and they, they say, hey, I want to introduce this new tech, but I want you to glue it in via Zapier or whatever to all this old tech um, because, I, you know, because I invested so much in it. I, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to shit can it right now. Or, or maybe well, they don't believe you can. Maybe it's just a belief thing. Like, I, I don't believe I can. Oh, I, I think that there's ways to go about it. But you're, I think that every company needs to do a couple of things. How do you first of all get some uh, uh, the C-suite to agree to invest into a new technology? You you know, there's only one way. It's numbers. Yeah. It, that's all they care about. Tell show me the numbers, okay? I'd like to think they care about more. In some cases, they really do. We want the customer experience to be what it's always been. But if you do anything to damage that, we're not interested. Can you do anything to make it better? Yes. And in process of making it better. Is it going to cost us money or are we going to make money when we make it better? Amen. And the, hence, we're looking at numbers again. So if we want these new technologies to come along and replace old technologies, show me what my payback is. Show yeah. me quickly and easily so I can understand it. And then I'm willing to let go of the yeah. old stuff rather quickly. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's another also factor here, which you you kind of inferred it you know there's thousands of companies popping up in this space and they're really let's just say 99% of them are full of shit right they're 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 given demos that you know that are aspirational at best they're 
they're they're you know they're they're talking about the technology um far far above the, its capability and and then when push comes to shove and they actually try to use it they're like oh well you know i can't trust this so Crash you got these vendors yep. that are like over promising in the ai space it, it just seems to be a thing to like over promise ai you know i i think you you paint a gloomy picture and I'm a, it I'm is, a more it's of a... It's gloomy from a... I, just because I, I feel like I'm always combating the antitrust of other companies that have come in and over-promised functionality that is just simply not possible. Yeah. And then that people squeaky wheel is, getting, is the one that seems to be asking for the oil, but there are some wheels out there that aren't squeaking. You just have to find them. You have to cut through the clutter. And yeah. that's where your due diligence and your research comes in. Yeah, yeah, and... And and it you feels wonder, like the ROI like, comes slower too, right? Like it's a hard numbers game to play with the C-suite because there it might not be an immediate um, return on investment. Yeah. It, it might be a rocky road. I mean, we we usually tell or we tell a lot of companies that they should consider starting internally, uh, automating processes that can make life easier for their employees, uh, which has like you know a couple different benefits. I mean, it gets right. the employees used to the technology, starts yep. to build trust, create a vision, and then there's also um, the idea of you can kind of iron yeah. out the creases with these experiences before you turn them loose on your customers, but that that's not always like a cost cutting measure. What do you think you know? this Gardner yeah. idea, this total experience, the idea that you just holistically look at employee customer, put them in the same kind of I don't know. Well, what are to, your the, thoughts? The, the EX is definitely tied to the CX, employee experience, customer experience. Uh, if you want, uh, especially on the if you're getting outside of the technology, you're dealing human to human. Um, if you're not taking care of the employees the right way, they're not going to take care of the customer the right way. You can't uh -huh. take somebody in the back room, beat them up, yell at them, scream at them, and say, "Go be nice now." You know, it's incongruent <laughs> behavior, and and that's I think why you just changed my parenting philosophy. Yeah, just <laughs> the beatings aren't going to stop until your morale gets better. I saw that on a T-shirt. I'll never forget it. So, and. And so, you, you know, you, you have that situation. So what do we do? We, we teach people, we train them, we show them use. Uh, I, I love teaching through story. So let's make the story on two sides. This is the digital story so that we can teach our customers how to use our technology, recognize that there's a backup, that if it isn't working the way they want it to, they can quickly and seamlessly get to us as people. And then our job in the world of, of customer support or service or sales or whoever is on the front line dealing with the customer, our job is to be properly trained on number one, the knowledge we need to know about our products and services. And that may mean we don't have to have the information in our head, but know where to go to or who to go to to get it. And number two, show me who my customer is. Who am I talking to? You know, the old silo thing. And I hate that word silos. Break down the silos. There's no need for silos anymore. It's like, put it all out there and give me the relevant information I need to let that customer know that we know who they are, to your point earlier in our conversation. And if we do this right, what happens is uh, that customer goes, man, I'm glad I do business with them. They know what's going on. Again, nobody likes to call customer support. That's not like they wake up in the morning and say, can't wait to do this all day today. <laughs> and on the other side of it, the agent's job. If you've hired the right person, you've hired people that say, I love to get customers who are angry to be happy. That's yeah. what my whole purpose in life is. And when I do that, I am so freaking fulfilled. And that's the kind of people we want handling the call. 
Exactly. Um, you know, I, I can tell when I have an agent on the phone that's just doing their job and another one that cares about their job. I I was yeah. thinking about this. Um, I, I you know I, I I've seen you around for for years. You, you're you're sort of iconic in this space. And um, well, thank you. And uh, I I was like, um, I I can't help but just imagine that you spend a lot of time telling companies what to you is obvious, you know, kind of repeating yourself again, like be nice to customers. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Um, and, yeah. and just knowing that organizationally, technologically, it's, it's easier said than done. And you're sort of, you're, you're like, ah, I'm here. I go again, repeating myself. Um, and that we're entering potentially an age here where they can actually do take your advice and actually put it to use and, and, and move more quickly. And, and that this is like an exciting time for you because pretty soon now you can have these conversations knowing they can do something about it. And now it becomes more important to listen to you because it's it's not just listen to you, tell them all the things they're doing wrong that they can't fix, really. But now they're now there's power. Now they have power to fix it. It's sort of like, oh, wait, I, I wish I had paid attention to that guy. Now, now I can do something about it. Um, I don't know. It seems sort of exciting to me. Is that how you see it? Or well, ninety percent of my clients don't call me because they have problems. They call me because they want to get better. And uh, there's a big difference. The ones that truly have problems will call me and say, "Would you come out here do a one-hour speech to our employees and completely change our culture?" You know, so, that's not going to happen in an hour. <laughs> okay, but they think that's the answer. But we have other clients that you know we have really high NPS scores. We want to figure out a way to bump it up by one or two notches. We know that our competitors are starting to catch up. What can we do to continue to be the best or differentiate ourselves? That's what you know my best clients are doing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It it, it seems like it seems like technology has this. You know, we we say age of invisible machines, but we mean it in that sense of that technology can now sort of migrate to the background yep. um and and now it can be about the ideas and the and the business solutions and and building relationships and thinking about how to best build relationships with customers and not about talking about how the technology gets in the way and the only thing i'd i'd say is the interesting thing is that's going to be after people stop bringing the technology the old technology into the new technology conversation and sort of hamstringing themselves because because they're so attached to it. But I think that once we break free of that point solution, you know, phase, yeah, they, they get to now say, great, now now that I could greet somebody in a way that that allows me to know them and hyper-personalize, what should it be, right? <laughs> and yeah. Just how you, should we do that? You're you're saying something, and I think we need to simplify the example and, and because I think this is what you're saying. There was a point in time in the late 1980s that virtually no company had a website. And uh -huh. it was in this real short period of time that these com oh, most companies realized, we better get a website, okay? That, that's a crossover from uh -huh. nothing to something. And I believe we have hit a crossover opportunity with OpenAI and ChatGPT and Generative AI and all the other words that go along with this whole AI thing. AI has been around for a while. Uh -huh. AI was not accessible to smaller businesses that couldn't afford, you know, IBM Watson solution or solutions like that. 
And today, uh, my gosh, I can even take, I, I, so get this, I'm a tiny little company. You know, I've got five employees, big deal. We work with some of the greatest brands in the world. Lucky me, and I've worked hard to get there, and I get that. So I have clients that say, hey, we want to have a book club. Which book should we buy of yours? And I recommend perhaps the latest book. And is there any chance that you'll jump on and, and have a, a quick little Q&A session with our executives if we buy 25 books? You know what? I'm happy to do that for you. Let's do that. But imagine this. Uh, I now take that book, that manuscript, and I dump it into what is called a data set, which is nothing more than a bucket that holds all the uh -huh. words that, is in, that are in my book. And I give you access to that bucket where you can ask me anything about what's in that bucket. And I will tell you. And what's really cool about it is when I explain it to you, if you don't understand it, you can say, I don't understand this. Explain it to me like I'm in sixth grade. And mm -hmm. it'll give you the exact same answer explained like you're in six, like at a sixth grade level. Yeah. That could never happen before. Yeah, so, I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah we, we had a conversation a with uh, with Charlene Lee, who's who's also a oh, best-selling author. Oh, I know Charlene. A, She's great. Yeah, I'm yeah. a mastermind with Charlene. She's awesome. Uh, yeah, and she, we were talking about a similar notion, and I and and she posed the use case too, where she could. It would almost be like she had a second brain. She could. Yep. You know, she she said, "I've never written. I've written a lot about hospitals. I've written a lot about uh, like AI improving customer experience, but I haven't written yeah. about those two things together. So I'm going to ask my LLM, like, what would I, what should I tell a hospital about how to, you know, you in, know, in, integrate AI or something like that? And that she would have almost a second brain that she could constantly yeah. be training to get better, while also, of course, eliminating tedious tasks. Yeah, you know, and I, from her and workflow. to this to this point of like. Yeah, incremental shift versus systemic change. I we did this. We took our book. We dumped the course. We dumped in it. It was like days after, right? We dumped it into an LLM, and then we handed it to users in a user test. And they're like, I don't know what to ask this thing, right? Like I don't know where to start. And and then we suddenly realized, oh man, we were, we were using the Google paradigm, the search. Yeah, like you, go to Google. You got to think me. of it differently than Google. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You you have to lead them. So you say, hey, who are you? So you build that bio sketch first. Who are you? Where do you work? What's your job role? How long have you been doing it? What's what's some of the challenges that you have in customer service today? What do some of your customers think? And then from that data, you start suggesting, well, here's an idea that might help you. Here's another idea. And so you have to lead the conversation if you're going to put your book into a LLM. You can't just like that paradigm of, oh, it's a Google search, right? Like you have to know what you're looking for to find it. And and that just subtle shift changes everything, right? Because now now it's guiding me, it's teaching me, it's leading me, versus right. versus I'm leading it, right? Which yeah. is which makes no sense. You didn't write a book so that people could lead you, right? The book is to lead in the ideas and inspire them. So, so we get to the custom instructions part of Chat GPT, uh -huh. where it goes on, and and if you get into that section, I believe it's in the Chat GPT four, which means you've got to pay a, I think it's twenty dollars a month to be on that platform. I could be wrong; it might be in GPT three point five now, uh, which is free. But what's your name? How would you like me to address you? Uh -huh. Tell me what you do. You know, like what's your occupation? What is it that you like to talk about more than anything that you could spend hours talking right. about? And why is it asking me this? Because when it gives me information, it's going to keep that in mind. Yep. And then it'll lead the conversation. It'll introduce concepts that will be interesting to me. Yeah, you, you, 
they they introduce it as sort of global special instructions, but I think what what we think of it as is just primers, and then we go yeah, primers well, to personalize. Yeah, and and we go well. What if those primers are dynamic? What if they're contextualized? What if they change? Like static primers are like a step forward, but they're they're really blunt instruments still. What if they're highly dynamic and contextualized for where I am at that moment? You know how much time I have. Yeah, how much time do you have to chat? Like twenty minutes. All right. Well, let's let's do the twenty minute version of Shep's book. Right. Right. And we're gonna we're gonna jam through this. And and by the way, if you want to pick up later, and you come back, like I'll pick up where we left off. Yeah. It, that's what the beautiful thing is. Is you go to ChatGPT, you see all the different conversations you've had, and you can jump right back into a conversation. Well, one of the things you might want to also do is suggest to the customer the types of questions that you can ask uh-huh. that will be creative starters for them to know, you know, like, what would you like to see? Would you like a, well, how would you like a summary of the chapter? Right. Which of these yeah. chapters Writers know the, the blank page can be daunting. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 I think we were talking to Adam Scher, uh, who, who was the founder of Siri. And um, that was one of his you know, f- from a discovery standpoint, one of his big things was to suggest, you know, to give give people these kickstarters to kickstart conversations. Uh, we call them conversation starters, and you really do that. Even you, you have to have context still, though. Without context, you're still like shooting in the dark at what somebody's gonna want. And I do agree. Why why offer them one one option on how to start a conversation when you can offer them four, right? Um, but you still need that. Who are they? What do they like? How much time do they have? What, you know, where are they in their journey to to narrow that selection down? Otherwise, I might be looking at, you know, 500 different conversation starters. Um, and so I, I, I'm excited about this open, uh, you know, sort of sharing this with the world, this concept of, of conversational memory. But I'm way more excited about relationship level memory and and that being dynamic and contextualized and constructed and on the fly, kind of like we could think of that the the way we see it now in OpenAI as the static web page, and and I want to introduce the dynamic web page, you know, where where it's everybody doesn't see the you know the exact same thing every time they come back, um, but where we have this you know context highly contextualized primer that allows us to continue conversations and 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 that kind of can can help lead us versus the 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 google option but um yeah i'm 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 done blabbering on <laughs> well, well we, we could all go for hours here. more if we wanted yeah. but yeah <laughs> we can respect everyone's time and uh yeah i mean Shep, th- this was so much fun we really appreciate you joining us um Obviously, we we could probably talk some more. So maybe uh, well, we can continue the conversation some two. other time. Yeah, this this journey is just getting started, right? Yeah. Hey, thanks again for tuning in to Invisible Machines. Don't forget to follow Invisible Machines wherever you get your podcasts, so that you can hear new episodes as soon as they drop. You can also watch this podcast on the Invisible Machines YouTube channel. Thank you so much to everyone who listens to this podcast and especially to those of you who leave comments because we've received a lot of really useful commentary that has helped us shape this podcast 
as we move forward with it. Thank you, as always, to our producers, Elias Parker, Kate Timchenko, and our video editor, Michael Litvinov, for making this podcast look and sound wonderful. We look forward to catching up with you again next week, right here on Invisible Machines. Mm-hmm.